everyone. This is Charlie Levine, and you're listening to the Angler's Journal podcast, brought to you by Angler's Journal magazine. If you're not currently a subscriber to Angler's Journal, run on over to anglersjournal.com, pick up a subscription, and check us out. You won't be disappointed. All right. Today's guest, we got the most New Jersey, New Jersey guy I've ever met. (laughs) An old buddy of mine who we've worked together here and there. Um, Really, really diehard angler, uh, Mr. Nick Honachewski. What's up, Nick? Hey, Charlie. How's it going, my brother? It's going great, buddy. I I know I said your name right, but how many times have people messed up your name in in your life? Countless, man, countless. I, I mean, I just learned how to spell my last name just a couple of years ago. It's been so long. <laughs> well, as you're a professional writer, that's terrifying. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so you are back in New Jersey, and I've been watching your Instagram feed, and it looks like you've been fishing like crazy, man. How's how's the bite treating you? Oh, man, this year, Charlie, I mean, you obviously know I fish a ton, but this year has been off the charts, lights out up here in New Jersey. Um you know, I've been fishing, I guess, since January 1st, but generally our striped bass season opened on March 1st, and they were hitting right away, uh, you know, getting blackfish, bluefish, striped bass, and uh, I've already had a phenomenal spring, and I can't wait to see what rest of the year brings. Wow. So explain to me kind of when the bass start to appear. Is it a certain water temperature you're looking for? Are you watching the moon or a tide? What is what is usually the key component? Is there some sort of bait that sort of says like, okay, spring's coming? Well, generally along the coastline, as I'm sure you're aware and most of your listeners and readers are aware of Angler's Journal that, uh, you know, striped bass are migratory. In the springtime, they're coming up for their spring run to spawn out into the three main spawning grounds of the Chesapeake Bay, Delaware River, and the Hudson River. And they come along Jersey and we get to intercept them on their way, their migratory path up towards the Delaware River and the Hudson River. And they have to go through the Delaware Bay along the Jersey coast and then up through the Raritan Bay. And that's usually when we see them. Um, Generally speaking, we really start seeing the first bass sometime in mid to late March, I guess, uh, with April kind of being the, the beginning of the real run. And then it really peaks in May up to about early June, and then they continue their migratory path upward towards New England. But this year, we've had them since, I think, March 3rd was the first bass I got, and I was catching, I was well in the hundreds of fish by March 30th. So, I mean, that's from the shoreline, too, from a boat. So, you know, those stripers, those migratory paths, we're catching them on the spring run right now. Yeah, that sounds phenomenal. I haven't gotten to do that in a long time living down here in Florida. Um, what is your sort of go-to bait or setup for that spring run off the beach? You know, it's funny. Normally, and you know, t- historically, you would, uh, you know, the spring run was a weight and bait type of thing. You know, you know, growing up in like the, the late '90s, early 2000s, you'd chunk bunker, go clamming and stuff like that, or the boaters would snag bunker and drop it, um, you know, to catch their fish. But I'm telling you what, in the last four to five years. Uh, artificial lures have really, really begun to outproduce weight and bait type of uh, fishing. So right now, you know, I've been casting personally myself. I've been casting uh, black bombers, uh, white ma- uh, Yazori mag darters, savage gear lures, um, a whole ton of stuff, you know, that mimics uh, basically anything that's mimicking Menhaden or Bunker, um, you know, larger type lures too. So th- that's what those fish are keen in on now. But it's just amazing that it's turned over into like an artificial fishery in the springtime when it's always usually been a, a bait type fishery. 
Yeah, that that is pretty interesting. And it's encouraging to hear that the fishing has been so good because, you know, I've heard obviously this Amendment 7 and a lot of talk about the striped bass regulations and um, people are very upset for various reasons. You probably have a handle on that stuff more than I do. But um, I don't know. What is your take on some of that? Well, I'm always, uh, first of all, I release 99.5% of the fish I always catch. I'm not just talking in stripers. I mean, granted, yeah. I was just on this fast trip two days ago, and I had my limit, and they all came home, and I'm eating them all week, you know? Nice. But generally, I release fish, and especially with striped bass, uh, we know what happened in the 80s. Anyone who lived through it know, understands that they were literally almost extinct. And um, the moratorium prevented, you know, the, the complete extinction of them, in my, my opinion. And, you know, throughout the years in the 90s and 2000s when the bass one was really good, everybody, you know, the, the, the laws became a little more liberal. Everyone was keeping these huge cows all the time. And everyone was a, you know, was a, was a expert, you know, an expert, I guess you could say. Sure. But, you know, back in 98, what a 40-pound fish. That was the fish of a lifetime. Now you catch five, six 40s a day every time you're out, you know. So everyone's catching these trophy fish and didn't really know how to work for them. But the stock started declining again, you know, and, uh, you know, around like 2009, 2010, because all these big fish, in my opinion, were being culled out of the, you know, the, the ecosystem. So I do believe in sensible regulations for stripers. Um, what we have now, I think, is, is pretty sensible. The 28 to 38 inch slot limit, one fish, you know, that's generally coastwide. Jersey has 28 to uh, 35 inches for their slot right now. They're the only one that's different. But um, I, I do believe in regulation for bass as long as it's sensible and it doesn't prevent people from going out fishing or taking a fish home to eat. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I, I'm with you. I grew up in Connecticut, and in the 80s, there just were no striped bass. I don't – I mean, we rarely caught them. And then after I moved back in the 90s after college and stuff – um, they were around and it was, it was a nice thing to see for sure. Um, and I just hope it's going to go the same direction and we're going to take care of the resource. It is weird to me. Like, why is New Jersey always different with, with regulations? Can you, can you sum that up in like a minute or less? Well, uh, Jersey's always different, but, um, the one thing I mean, think about the one thing that's great about Jersey is that there's no commercial fishing for stripers. New York has it. I think Connecticut has it. You know, we outlawed that a long time ago. Um, I don't know. It's. Uh, I think there's a lot more. Uh, I, I don't want to say there's a lot more, but there's a different type of passion in Jersey where people are a lot more willing to fight for what they believe in. I think you know, and if you take away from them, they're going to go after you. You know, we're going to fight for what we want. You know, and uh, I like that uh, that pit bull mentality that we. You know. Okay. Oh. Uh, we won't just lay over. You know. It, regulations aren't there you know or regulations aren't fair there's not one fisherman true fisherman i know that doesn't want to conserve any fish population but it has to be sensible you know and it has to be based on legitimate data not pulling stuff out of thin air you know yeah. that's the main thing if it have legit data no true fisherman is going to refute that or, or go against you know sensible regs if you have the data to back it up yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and I think it's one of those things where usually it's like a few bad apples kind of ruins it for everybody. And you see these really gross pictures of guys just, you know, taking small fish or, or way, way, way too many fish and, and stuff like that. Cause I agree. I think true anglers, 
you know, are more than happy to just go out and catch and release and have a great day and, you know, take some photos. That's really all you need. And so that's good to hear. And, um, <laughs> Jersey guys are scrappy. That's for sure. And, uh, I think the best case to show how scrappy they are is, uh, something you lived through 10 years ago with hurricane Sandy. And you're actually, I'm really excited going to be writing a story about that experience for, for anglers journal. But, um, something we talked about recently and, you know, just kind of curious how things are going 10 years after the fact and, and what that whole experience has been like. Well, I won't divulge all the details. Yeah. <laughs> so the readers can actually catch the whole story in fall issue. But um, put it bluntly, you know, uh, I, for the people who may not know, uh, when Superstorm Sandy hit October 29, 2012, um, I was on the barrier island in Jersey, the evacuated of the island. I was one of the last to go. Long story completely short, I lost every single thing in my entire life when it comes to not only my house, but all my material possessions, all my fishing gear, you know, everything that you can possibly ever have in your life, like material-wise. I'm, but I'm also talking about emotional-wise, like all the stuff my grandfather gave me, my dad gave me on my first fishing rod, all the photos I had previous to being 38 years old, you know. Uh, so I don't have any photos of me growing up fishing anymore or any pictures of me and my dad fishing or any of any, all that stuff, you know, or, or the, the my first fishing rod I got given or the jitterbug I got from the tooth fairy that inspired me to go fishing. I always kept on a mantelpiece, you know. But oh, wow. so anyway, it was, it was a tough go, uh, you know. You know, I had to get over that re- like relatively quickly because it's like you can't just sit there and sulk. You got to freaking get up and start moving and start going forward. You know, um, and the one thing that is is was rough is I got I definitely got through Sandy because um, I had to. You know, within like as soon as I knew that I didn't have a home or a house anymore, and it was just a new inlet where my house was. But the thing that really wore me down was the, all the battles post Sandy to get back to rebuild my house over the last nine and a half years. So going battling the township, battling the association, battling the federal government, um, you know, because once once everyone realizes what's up, everyone gets their hand in the pie and then you can't move. You're like paralyzed. Um, so to put it bluntly, nine and a half years later, I'm still not rebuilt. Um, but I did have the opportunity to Finally, in August of 2021, which was last year, about six months ago, was the first time I was ever able to even sell my lot, list it, or have the opportunity to build on it. So it took nine years for me to get to the point where I could sell it or rebuild it. And uh, I decided to sell the lot because uh, it just, it wouldn't have the same feeling anymore. I mean, if I was able to rebuild within three or four years, that would have been one story, but uh Nine and a half years later, it's just it's time to move on and and get rid of Sandy and see it in the rearview mirror, you know. So it's been a long struggle, but uh, I'm happy to close that chapter. But I want to buy my new place at the beach, which should be by the end of the year, and then really start life over again. So wow, <laughs> to put it yeah, the, yeah, <laughs> that's a lot to uh, digest. I mean. You know, I watched your, your, your feed, your social feed through that whole experience and yeah, talk about strength and just one step forward every day. And it was really impressive to watch. And, you know, you're such like an outgoing, easygoing, fun guy to be around. So I don't know, to see you have to scrape and fight like that, it really does suck, but I'm so glad that things are, are moving long and, you know, you've done so well 
and your career is still cooking. You've got your own TV show. Um, I've, I've watched several episodes and it's called Saltwater Underground. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Oh, so, uh, thanks for the intro to that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Plug uh, away. Saltwater- <laughs> uh, it's called Saltwater Underground with Nick Hanushevsky. And currently we air on the Sportsman's Channel, usually in quarter one. And then the reruns after quarter one go on Waypoint TV. You can watch both season one and season two right now on Waypoint TV. Uh, originally, I, I got my um, you know TV chops when I hosted a show on the World Fishing Network called Hooking Up with Nick and Mariko. And uh, when that ran its course, I also hosted a few episodes of Sport Fishing TV um, back when both you and I were at Bonnie or Charlie a while ago. Yep. And I decided to own um, my own show. So not only do I host it, but I'm the executive producer and uh, I wear all the hats for the show. And I know everyone says, oh, you know, my show's different, my show's different. But truly, I wanted to put a show together that was unlike any other fishing show. Number one, we're based in the Northeast for the most part. So most of our episodes are um, fishing you don't normally see on national television. And as far as I know, I'm the only national TV show, fishing show, that focuses on the Northeast. So, you know, obviously, you know me, I'm a world traveler. I've fished all over the place. I'm not, like, upcoming episodes and seasons are going to explore. We're going to explore California and North Carolina and stuff like that. But the bulk of it's in the Northeast. And I kind of like telling the story. I'm kind of bringing back the old school days of, like, Flip Pallet and uh, Jose Wehebe in, in the essence of, you know, telling the story through it. It's not just about the how-to of fishing, even though you'll learn a little bit about it of the fishing we're doing, but it's more or less the relationships and the lifestyle and the salty characters that we all, um, we all know and love when we're fishing, you know, and the, and the humor and, and the lifestyle that's involved with it. And I tie every episode together with an awesome culinary segment at the last segment four. Um, so I film with some top celebrity chefs that are my friends like Josh Chellis, James Avery. Um, I have some pretty cool guest stars. If anyone's a music fan, I've got Dean Ween on one episode. Um, from the band Ween. Uh, I've got an actor, Matt Servito from the Sopranos going to be fishing with and Mike McGill, who's a professional skateboarder. So I got people that touch all, you know, sorts of different jobs and occupations, but the main route is fishing. And that's the underground of it, man. You know, it's like, and it's not a usual fishing show. We have a lot of off the cuff kind of, you know, talking and filming. I want, I, I don't want to have a show where I'm preaching to people. I want them to feel like they're fishing with me. So that's kind of the whole idea of it. Yeah. And you've got such a, a great level of energy on there. You know, it's not always easy to uh, have that happy, excited face when the camera's on you and you're good at that. And tell me about Dean Ween. You're always talking about Dean Ween. What's, what's this guy's deal? <laughs> it's funny. I was just fishing with Nikki. Uh, was real name's Mickey, and uh, so if anyone was, was grew up in the '90s, I guess, or a little bit in the music scene, then uh, Ween was a big band in the '90s. Alternative, they played all over the world, played with all the main like dudes, like you can't believe, you know. And uh, and Mickey's actually introduced me to a bunch of guys like Les Claypool, Primus, Gibby Haynes, the uh, Butthole Surfers, and stuff. And all these guys fished, so yeah. pretty radical, but uh. Yeah, Mick's a hardcore fisherman. That's how we met uh, through fishing in like 2005 or something like that. But uh, came two buddies. I called, I emailed him one day. I'm like, you fish? He's like, yeah. I was like, hey, man, I live at Normandy Beach. I was like, come down and fish. He didn't even know me. He came down and he stayed with me and it didn't leave for three days. <laughs> That's how we became friends. You know, we had no idea 
who each other were, but we became fast friends. And uh, he's like my main go-to fishing buddy. We fish all the time. So. Wow. What, what instrument does he play? Or is he a singer? Uh, he's, he's the lead guitarist in Ween, you know? So do you guys ever jam out? Don't you play a little? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even touch that, man. Not when I'm near. <laughs> he, you, I mean, you know your, you know your limitations. He's uh, played with, like, Letterman, uh, Julian Lennon. Like, uh, oh, that's uh, cool. Like, everybody, man. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's neat, you know, and I think Angler's Journal has a similar approach. It's not all about, like, rigging baits and, and how to tie this knot or that knot. It's really about the experience, the place, the people, the story behind the story, you know. It's it's a passion. It's a it's a lifestyle. It's all that stuff. So I'm into it. That's cool. You know, it, it, that's what I love about Angler's Journal, too, to be candid, is that, um, and, you know, to cross-reference it to Saltwater Underground ethos, is that, so many people are so worried now of like, what gear are we, how big was the fish I caught? You know, it's like, and like this competitiveness that social media has kind of, I think, brought out. And we got to get back to like, just love the sport of fishing, man. I'm equally as happy catching a 14 inch striper as I am a 45 pound bass, you know? I truly am, you know? And it's, uh, you know, you got to go back to the love of the sport and show the passion. And, and that's how you engage people better how you bring more people to, to love the sport and not think of it as a, a competition anymore, you know? And I want to bring that back um, to our industry. And that's, that's what cool. I believe Angler's Journal is. That's why I love reading the mag. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. And, you know, I was going to ask, after that whole experience with Sandy and, you know, the devastation of losing all your tackle and all those pictures and stuff, do you feel like – I'm not going to take this for granted. And, and does that play into why every fish counts so much? You know what? I've never taken fishing for granted just because I re I've always recognized how special it is. I've never, ever done it. In fact, <laughs> funny enough, like I just caught it like two 10 pound weak fish in the surf the other day. Right. Oh yeah. You're Which telling me that's, those I, are big. I, yeah. They were both 34 inches long. So they're 10 to 12 pounds. And, uh, and after I got done with that, Obviously, I want to cast right back to him. But what did I do? I sat down. I knelt on the sand, held my rod, and I said a prayer thanking God or, you know, whatever anyone believes in their God. I believe in my God. And I just said, thank you so much. I'm so thankful to have actually done this and accomplished this feat with, like, every other fish I catch. And I went right back to casting and caught more, you know. But I am always thankful when it comes to fishing. I'm blessed. I'm thankful. And I, that's why I like introducing it to more people and showing them the passion and love because I never take it for granted. I never did. That's cool. That's cool. And I want to hear more about this uh, too. You know, I've got two little kids who are losing teeth. Like they freaking lose, lose change and it's getting expensive, man. It's five bucks a pop. Uh, tell me about this lure that you got from the tooth fairy. <laughs> so like, you know, obviously when you lose your, your teeth as a kid and get the tooth fairy and all that. And so, the one time I get my tooth out, you know, and I'm probably about five, six years old or whatever it is at the time, and I'm reaching through underneath my pillow throughout the whole night. And finally, as a kid, you fall plenty of sleep. Then I reach under the, the pillow in the morning, and I feel this box. And as soon as I pull it out, it was a Fred Arbogast jitterbug, man. And I was like, are you kidding me? From the tooth fairy, it was just like Christmas, you know, getting a jitterbug. So I immediately start trying to pull out my other teeth. And my mom's like, no, 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 no. Yep. Toothpaste is only going to come if they fall out naturally. So you can't pull them out. You won't get anything. I was like, okay, okay. That was a lot of my first uh, largemouth bass were caught on that plug. So 
Oh, it still works too, you know, and that top water bite. It's always fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I have a little game here, Nick, that I like to play with our guests. I hope you're uh, you're down for it. It's sort of a would you rather game, which is something again I do with my boys all the time. So I'm gonna name a couple things and you just have to pick which one you prefer. All right. Okay. All right. So here we go. Number one, beach or boat? Beach. Beach. All right, number two, striped bass or fluke. I mean, I guess right now, striper. Okay. Heavy metal or classic rock? I'm a metal guy, man. I thought so. Inshore or offshore? So tough. Like right now, inshore is firing, so that's what's on my mind. Book or magazine? Well, obviously, it depends what kind, but uh, for a day-to-day basis, magazine. Live music or live sports? Live music. Mets or Yankees? I don't I don't know why I put that in. Oh, uh, come on. Yankees? Yankees all the way. Yeah it's, yeah, it's hard to be a Mets fan. Uh, New York City or Atlantic City? Since <laughs> <laughs> where the fishing is. Uh, if there's fish in Atlantic City, I'm gone. But New York, hands down, you know. Yeah, Atlantic City's not quite what it once was. Uh, spinning rod or conventional? Yeah, once again, it depends on the fishing. But uh, right now, since I'm doing a lot of surf casting, the spinning rod. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, let's go back through this. So beach or boat, you'd like said beach right away. Boom. I've always been like a hardcore surfer fish just because of the challenge is so much more ethereal there from the, from the beach. You know, uh, I just landed a 48 inch striper that had a 28, 29 inch girth from the beach the other day, which puts it between 45 and 51 pounds. Wow. And that is the second largest bass I've ever caught in the surf of my life. So like just the challenge is so different, you know, and you really have to understand, read the beach and understand the mechanisms of the surf. So, um, you know, I, I just find it a little more challenging. And, you know, obviously, all these answers, I want both the answers. But you're making me pick one or the other. Yeah, I love yeah, both yeah. fishing just as equally. But the surf is definitely uh, a little more challenging. And, and uh, it's more accessible on a daily basis. You can just go out for an hour and come back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what are, you know, what is the surf casting like in Jersey? It's not really rocky, is it? It's mostly sand. It's sand, but it's lights out fishing, man. It's uh, we have jetty country that's north of Manistrawn Inlet, so these jetties there. But generally, the surf itself is just sand, and you got to learn how to read the cuts, the slews, the sandbars, and all that. Very cool. All right, heavy metal or classic rock? Metalhead, what's your what's your pick there? Well, I mean, cla- I, like growing up, ACDC and Beastie Boys, Run DMC was all my stuff, you know. Okay. Um, classic rock to me now. When- Classic rock, I think all the 70s stuff, like Steely Dan, and I don't, I'm not into that stuff. But, um, you know, Rolling Stones, I dig, you know, like all that stuff. But if people think classic rock now is like Aerosmith and all that, then I'm into that. But heavy metal-wise, I grew up on, like, straight-up Anthrax, Metallica, the old Metallica, um, you know, Megadeth, the, all, all that crazy stuff growing up, man. I, I loved it, you know what I mean? You... Iron Maiden, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can't forget. Do you listen to music when you fish a lot? Eh, not so much, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I just, uh, I mean, if we're trolling for tuna or something like that, you know, we'll put the radio on. But generally when I'm fishing, I just kind of, you know, I'm dialed in. I'm listening to, to the splashing around. I'm trying to listen to sounds and see where the fish are. I'm kind of concentrated on fishing. But like I said, if you're drifting for tuna or trolling, yeah, throw the radio on, you know. Sure, sure. Inshore, offshore, it's kind of like you said. I mean, yes, please to both. <laughs> right. It, yeah. Uh, Inshore 
flutes right now and stripers, but the tuna fishing is just starting it, starting up. So my mind's going to be dedicated to offshore in the next, like within four weeks. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you guys have had a really good bluefin bite the last few years. World class. Absolutely world class. We could leave dock at 5 a.m. and be back to dock at 10 a.m. with our two unders and our over and releasing another 10 fish. It's, it's like going on a half-day fluke trip catching tuna like that. It's insane. That's rad. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, Booker Magazine, I guess I was just kind of curious if you've been reading anything cool lately. Uh, well, the cool thing was is the one thing I lost in Sandy was my original copy of White Fang, Jack London. <clears throat> and my wife got it for my birthday again uh, last year. Oh, Original first one. edition, White Fang. I was, so I'm a big book fanatic. I mean, I used to have all sorts of like cool, old school books. But, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis, magazine, I pick it up. Like if AJ English Journal comes in or old school saltwater sportsman, I'll flip through them and stuff like that, you know? <clears throat> Excellent. Yeah, me too. Um, live music or live sports. I wasn't, I can't remember you being much of a sports fanatic. Uh, Yankees and Steelers, you know? And, uh, I'll, uh, like I'm not like a I'm, I don't wear like the logos or anything like that, but uh, more or less Steelers now. Yeah, I kind of fell out of baseball a little bit in recent years. I just haven't kept up with who's on the team, but I still have my love for the Yankees. Okay. Uh, you know, but Steelers for sure. Yeah, we actually just uh, just today I published a story on AnglersJournal.com of uh, a former Yankee player named John Ellis, played in the '70s, who was actually a big striped bass fisherman too. And uh, he was a scrapper. We have these cool people. He, he, he was a catcher and a first baseman. And we, we found this great photo of him in a scrum right in front of home plate. And he's like, you can see him throwing a punch. <laughs> um, but That's yeah, cool. he had that Yankee spirit. Um, all right. Another question. I guess I skipped over this one. I was going to ask you, you know, I love, I, I love how much you love New Jersey. <laughs> and it's really, it's, it's, passionate but i was going to ask you like new jersey or costa rica just to really throw it out there and see if i could get you out of your home state well you can always get me out of my home state but i'm always coming back here you know what i mean yeah <laughs> now you can't leave jersey man once you're born here and bred here man it's, it's, it's the club bro you know it's like you know everyone kind of sticks to like you can be in like california or something be getting into a fight with someone and then you're like you're from jersey you're like oh hey what's up man it's like oh, all right you're cool yeah. <laughs> it's all right you're not too oh and you guys get so much like flack from new yorkers and stuff it's funny to listen to from the outsider you know here's a quick story when uh when you and i were both down at bomb here in florida you know there's like we're we're born and bred with sarcasm up here in jersey right so I go down to Florida, real quick story, we're at that bar Big Daddy's that was in Orlando, and this one uh, Florida guy comes up to me, you know, I was wearing a flannel shirt, he goes, hey man, that's a nice shirt, and I go, I go, oh yeah? I was like, go F yourself, I was like, nice shirt, go F yourself, and he's like, hey man, I'm just telling you, that's a nice shirt, and I'm like, what do you mean by a nice shirt? He goes, oh, I'm sorry, man, it's just nice, I go, you mean nice like you're being a all the or like nice like it's a nice shirt? He's like, no, it's a nice shirt, I go, oh, because in Jersey, you go up Hey, nice shirt, dude. It's like you're clowning them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, a people don't talk like that in Orlando, Nick. I don't know what kind of accent that is. Uh, you guys may not see it, but when I move down there, I, I see it. no, that's funny, man. Nice shirt. I'll remember not to compliment you on your clothing next time I see you. <laughs> and the whole New York City or Atlantic City again. I was just like, what is like something Jersey? And then you know, I know obviously that world record striped bass was caught in Atlantic City many years ago, and that was quite a story. But 
Other than that, Atlantic yeah. City does not have much going on these days. Nah, it's a slum, dude. I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, I, I have no desire to go there, really. I mean, it's just gambling and, and crime. You know what I mean? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, awesome, man. Well, so what's next on the agenda? You got any more uh, episodes you're filming this summer? So, yeah, we just uh, we're we're solidifying our sponsors for uh, our third year right now, which is so awesome. I'm so happy to still have uh, Grundin's Bubble Blade Shimano Savage gear. Um, we just got Ron Z Lures, and uh, we're going to do Tuna this year. we got some crazy cool new stuff that we're going to be uh, going towards. Backwater popping big bluefish, like 18, 20-pound blues. So we got a bunch of stuff coming up. Oh, in, that uh, sounds fun. In the next two months, man. Yeah, it's going to be good. And uh, I'm actually, as soon as we get off the phone here, I'm going fishing in the surf. So. Attaboy, <laughs> attaboy. That's excellent. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's fun to catch up. and. How can our listeners uh, find the show? You said it's on um, Waypoint. So um, if anyone wants to check out anything and everything I'm doing with my daily posts with catching, they can go on my Instagram at Nick Konoshevsky. Um You can figure out how to spell it. <laughs> and uh, you can scroll to uh, my shows at Saltwater Underground. If you just type in and Google Saltwater Underground or Nick Konoshevsky, everything will pop up for you. Um, you can also go to saltwaterunderground.com. That has the links to everything that I do, including all the episodes there. So I'm going to be doing blasts about Saltwater Underground. Uh, our season two episodes are going to be on Discovery Channel, which I'm really stoked about. So, oh, congrats, man. That's it. cool. Yep. Very, very good. Yeah, make sure to find Nick. And, you know, I'm excited to read the story uh, that we're going to have in English Journal about your experience in Superstorm Sandy and, and how fishing kind of kept you going and kept you sane. So thanks again, Nick. And for everyone out there listening, make sure to check out Angler Journal Magazine and listen in for our next guest. Take care, buddy. Thanks, Charlie. I appreciate it, brother.